I love superhero movies. As a kid, I can remember running around the house with a towel clothes pinned to my neck pretending to be Superman. I loved Superman because of his strength and speed. We often look at Superman and are glad when he shows up in the movies because he prevents imminent danger. The difference between God and Superman is that God does not prevent danger always. He sometimes works in the midst of danger. In this episode of Groundwork, we'll see how God works in the midst of danger in the book of Daniel, and hopefully the lessons will inspire us to continue to put our faith and trust in the God who delivers. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in part five of our six-part series in the book of Daniel. And we've been talking about the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign over all things, even in less than ideal circumstances. Because Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, have found themselves in exile because of the disobedience of Israel. And God is still finding a way to give them the abilities to thrive and to survive in that unfortunate circumstance. We have seen uh, so far in this series and in this program, we're going to come right to the halfway point in the book of Daniel, that God again and again um, has delivered these four men in exile because they again and again get tested, put in situations in which they have a choice compromise their devotion to and their faithfulness to the God of Israel and go along with what the Babylonian kings wanted, or stay true and face the consequences. And again and again, of course, they stay true and face the consequences. And again and again, God delivers them from a death decree, from a fiery furnace, from all kinds of ways in which uh, things could have gone badly. But again and again, God reveals the Babylonian kings only think they are in charge. God really is. It's true, Scott. And so we see a motif between the first six chapters where there's a narrative and a challenge that has to do with their faith. And then there's a dream or an interpretation of a dream that needs to happen with a king. So the first episode was when we talked about how God has brought Daniel into this situation, he wouldn't compromise during the food and things like that. And then the second episode, we did chapters two and four, which are both dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel happened to interpret for him to help him explain and understand what's going on. And then we talked about how the three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fiery furnace because they would not compromise their faith. And so we see this motif of story, dream, story, dream. And then we have another story today in this episode. We're going into chapter six. Another thing we've noticed, and we're actually going to see it by the time we get to the end of this episode, is that God keeps coming through, and the Babylonian kings, first Nebuchadnezzar, then his son Belshazzar, and now we're going to get to another king, a sort of mysterious figure we'll talk about in a second, uh, Darius the Mede. Again and again, God comes through, and then the kings at the end of these chapters say, wow, the God of Israel is great. We all should worship him. And then it's like, you know, the next chapter starts, and that never happened. And we kind of go right back. So... The Babylonian kings were, shall we say, slow learners, uh, apparently. They didn't seem to remember this stuff for long. We saw only one chapter, really, about principally about Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son. Nebuchadnezzar dies at some point. Belshazzar takes over. And then we had that story about the handwriting on the wall. Yeah. 
And God casts rather swift judgment. We don't know how long Belshazzar reigned, but it doesn't look like it was too long. And when Daniel was asked to interpret that handwriting on the wall from uh, Daniel chapter 5, Daniel says, oh, this says you're done. (laughs) You're done. And that night he was done. He died. And then he gets replaced by somebody, oddly enough, identified by their age, 62-year-old Darius or Darius the Mede. And uh, he's a mysterious figure, uh, Daryl, because outside of the Bible, there's not much of a historical record of him. This is actually the only place he is mentioned in the scripture. So some scholars, they think, is he the one that uh, is going to be used as God's instrument? Is he connected to King Cyrus later on in the book of Isaiah? Or is he related to other folks? But I just wanted to go back into the scripture that his name actually picks up in chapter two. And it picks up in verse 36. And it says, this was the dream that we will now interpret to the king, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and beasts of the field and birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. And after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw, the feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will also have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And as just as you saw, the iron mixed with baked clay, so will the people be a mixture and not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. So the reason why we're reading this passage, Scott, is because the silver part of the interpretation of the dream, some people, scholars included, they mentioned this to be Darius. He is the one that is the silver part of the armor of the person that is interpreted as the figure in the dream. And we see right now that Daniel's dream is actually being interpreted in his lifetime and that change of power is happening. Things are going to keep getting weaker, uh, Daniel says there in chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar, you're strong. Uh, You are the head of gold. Yep. But it's going to keep getting a little bit weaker. We get silver, which is a little weaker than gold and bronze, which is a little weaker than silver. And then we get down to the bottom, which is partly iron, partly clay. And yet the iron's going to smash the clay and everything else too, by the way. So it was a preview that Babylon was not going to be forever. Belshazzar and now uh, Darius the Mede are not going to be as strong as Nebuchadnezzar. And ultimately, Babylon is going to go down. And actually, in the final episode of this series, uh, we're going to look a little more directly at some of that in some dreams Daniel will eventually have. But in this dream of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we foresee the rise of this Darius the Mede. He's not going to be super, super strong. He's not going to be a believer in the true living God. Of course, as we said, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, if they believed in God, it didn't last. But this, uh, Darius is also going to do, though, uh, what Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar also did, and that is fancy himself as the master of the universe. He's going to fancy himself as being the strongest of the strong, and we're going to see that in the main story we're going to look at in this episode. It's probably the most famous story in the book of Daniel. We're going to get to it in just a moment, so stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. 
Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose, and we're going to go now to Daniel chapter 6, and let's hear these words. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for bringing charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So we can see here, Scott, that God still has his hand on Daniel. And uh, I love that passage part where you said that he had exceptional qualities. Mm. In the King James Version, it says he has an excellent spirit. Mm. And God put that spirit in him to be the administrator that made Darius so pleased that he would exalt him above all these other satraps and these other people. So God is still excelling Daniel and giving him the ability to thrive in this exile situation. Exactly. Yeah, he's not charmed. He's blessed, right? I mean, he's blessed by God. God has given Daniel talents and gifts and abilities, and Daniel is diligent in using them, as we're all called to do, right? I mean, all of us, doesn't matter whether we're a doctor, a lawyer, a school bus driver, an auto mechanic, a stay-at-home mom or dad, the gifts we've been given to do the work we do, we do them to the best of our abilities. And Daniel, Daniel did that. And if you are, <laughs> if you are a corrupt person yourself, as some of these administrators and satraps clearly are. If you're somebody who cuts corners, as we suspect some of these people <laughs> did, nothing is more annoying than somebody who's just clean, who's just incorruptible, right? I mean, Daniel was annoyingly good. And so they said, look, 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 you know, it reminds me of a, a movie I saw a while back where somebody gets a new job and he starts whipping through his assignments really, really quickly. And one of his coworkers says, would you slow down? You're going to make the rest of us look bad. You know, <laughs> I mean, take it easy. Go slower. Uh, don't be so good. They don't want to be compared to Daniel. So rather than try to do what they ought to do and say, hey, let's aspire to be as good as Daniel. They say, eh, let's see if we can bring Daniel down to our level. And they can't do it. They can't do it because of his heart and his, he would not compromise his integrity. God has given him an excellent spirit. He wants to do things in an excellent way. And whenever you're in a situation where you're working or you're serving the Lord, you want to do it to the best of your ability with all your heart, like Scripture tells us to do, to the glory of God. And whenever you do that, you're going to shine your light. And the Lord says, actually, in Matthew 5, it says that we're supposed to let our light shine so that people will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And there will be people around you, unfortunately, who see you shining that light a little too brightly and they're going to try to get you to compromise it. The only issue they could find with Daniel was with his God. So they decided to create a little mess, a little conspiracy to involve the king to see if they could get Daniel removed. We can't trip him up 
based on his job performance. We can't trip him up based on his commitment to excellence. So we'll have to find a different way to trip him up or make him look tripped up to the king. You know, it sort of reminds me in the New Testament, I think it's in 1 Peter, Peter says to the believers, you know, live such excellent lives that even if people want to criticize you as a Christian, they won't be able to do it. Be that way. Daniel was that way. So what do you do? Well, you trip him up on his highest commitment. Now we're going to go a little bit farther into the sixth chapter, and we go here now, Daryl, to verse six. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, administrators, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So if you're someone like me who always likes to know the origin of common phrases, the laws of the Medes and the Persians, it comes here, there Daniel 6, right? Anytime you want to say something, you know, well, it's not the law of the Medes and the Persians, but where's that come from? Here, Daniel 6. So what do they do? They can't get Daniel tripped up any other way, so they trip him up on his own religious faith. They know Daniel won't pray to Darius. He wouldn't pray to Belshazzar. He wouldn't pray to Nebuchadnezzar. They know Daniel will disagree with it. So they appeal to the king's vanity. Hey, issue a decree that people can only pray to you. Ooh, cool. I, I like that, Darius says. I like that. So, of course, he issues a decree, not for a minute thinking that there's a plan to get at somebody he really likes, Daniel. Yeah. And so I think also it's important to note that sometimes as Christians, we get in trouble because of our faith and not because we've done anything else, anything out of the ordinary. And Jesus promised that because they persecuted him, that we would be persecuted as believers as well. And we see Daniel unwilling to compromise his faith. He actually opens his window so they can see him praying three mm. times a day. And it's not because he's being prideful or being boastful, but I think it echoes Romans one sixteen, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because he is not ashamed of his worship with God. Mm. And that's why he won't compromise. Exactly. So uh, the king, by having his vanity appeal to, issues a decree that he doesn't recognize could have wider ramifications. And soon enough, he finds out exactly what was behind it after all. So we move a little farther into Romans 6, and the, these satraps and others go to Darius and say, hey, by the way, didn't you issue a decree that nobody could pray to anybody but you? Yeah. Well, verse 13, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But then the group went back and said, remember your decree, the laws of the Medes and the Persians again. So the king gave this order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the lion's den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then we're told the king returned to his palace, but he couldn't eat or sleep all night. Darius was so impressed with Daniel that it upset him terribly that he got tricked into this thing. But he couldn't get out of it, right? He couldn't just repeal his decree without losing face, as we say. And so he's forced to throw Daniel into the lion's den. But he's almost weeping as he does it. He doesn't want Daniel to die 
but he's been so manipulated and is at the end of the day so weak that he just doesn't do anything about it. And there's nothing he can do about it because once the decree is said three times in this chapter, once a decree is said, it cannot be changed. And so he's actually tied up in his own words and his own decree. And if the story ended here, it would be a pretty hopeless story about a guy who tried mm. to stand up for what was right and then put to death and the sentence came down. I'm so glad that that's not the end of the story. And we will see when we close this program how powerful God can deliver and speak into a situation. And we also will see that this God is still in control, even though situation looks dire. So stay tuned. Water is a meaningful symbol throughout the Bible. Water is vital to natural life on earth. While at the same time, in dangerous storms, flooding, and tsunamis, water can be terribly destructive. Biblical references to water may seem random and unrelated, but reflecting on the symbolism of water can give us powerful insights into who God is, who we are, and how God calls us to live in this world. Join today in October for a devotional series, Waters of the Bible. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this fifth episode of our six-part series on the Old Testament book of Daniel. And we are in what proves to be, as we'll see in the final program of this series, Daryl, in what proves to be the final narrative uh, chapter, Daniel 6, we are in the well-known story, Daniel and the lion's den. And we've seen, uh, Daryl, that the king got manipulated into having it go this way. Yeah, unfortunately, because the king has these decrees and put his signet ring on certain rules. They cannot be changed, not even by him. These administrators who were not fond of Daniel and probably upset because he was doing an excellent job and they wanted to actually have him removed. So they came up with this conspiracy to have him get trapped up in the only thing they could get him trapped up in, which was his belief in his God. And so they set up this whole plan and the king is locked into this situation where even though Daniel's doing a great job. He's got top marks. He does stellar reviews annually. He is in this situation where, you know, unfortunately his words cannot be changed when the penalty comes down. So now we're sitting in this situation. Two things to observe here, Daryl, on the nature of evil. Many of us have encountered this in our own lives, right? Look what happens here, right? Daniel gets punished by these manipulative advisors and governors and satraps. He gets punished because of his goodness. He was so good, they couldn't figure out any other way to get rid of him other than to be evil themselves. So his goodness becomes a liability. And then what's the other thing? How do they manage to trip him up? By exploiting something else good about Daniel. That was his faith in God. So he gets in trouble with them because of what is most excellent about him. And they use his faith against him. And Boy, Daryl, doesn't that just talk about how the evil one works, trying to take our strengths and turn them into liabilities and weaknesses, trying to take our faith and use it against us. That speaks of the nature of evil on so many different levels. What I love about God is that because he's the just one and because he's the true king that is never going to be dethroned. He is the one that is the character that is behind the scenes and all this. He's the main character of the book of Daniel. And we trust in 
the continual reminder of his sovereignty, that he is actually in control of the events that are happening, not only in Daniel's life, not only in three Hebrew friends' lives, but in our lives as well. So even though Daniel is put in this situation where he's actually put in the lion's den and they think he's not going to make it. I mean, since his death, this is a death penalty. This is a death sentence. But God is sovereign and therefore he is intervening into this situation. And we will see that in this passage. Eventually, the uh, prophet Isaiah will predict a day when the lion will lie down with a lamb, but that ain't today. Lions and human beings don't uh, lie down next to each other in a lion's den. They they eat the human being. And we saw that Darius loves Daniel, and he was so upset that he was forced to throw him into the lion's den that he couldn't sleep the whole night. He tossed and turned, or maybe he didn't even try to go to bed. And so no surprise... Here we are, uh, Daniel six nineteen. at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. So I'm sure the king had some anxious moments there. Daniel, uh, you alive? And he was. Again, another amazing divine rescue, one of several that we've seen in this book. And it was a beautiful rescue that shows that God is in control, not only of the fire and the fiery furnace with three Hebrew friends in the earlier chapters, but also here with the lions. They were not able to devour Daniel because God had intervened into that situation. And so what's interesting is the fact that not only is God vindicating and justifying his righteous servant here, Daniel, but he's also allowing the king to issue the punishment now to the people who plan and this conspiracy in the first place. So now the ones that, that conspired against him, these administrators, they are thrown into the lion's den and they get devoured immediately because that was the judgment that they received. Yeah, kind of an unhappy end there, even though they, you, you, you can't deny that those manipulative uh, satraps and company uh, had it coming. We're also told that their wives and children were thrown in. So it's, it's actually a, a tragic ending, not for Daniel, but it is sort of a, a sad end of, of where the spiral of evil often goes. But uh, as we come to the end of this last narrative in the book, we have a few things that we can point out as sort of summary observations. One is God doesn't necessarily prevent obstacles in our lives, right? God didn't prevent these satraps and governors from manipulating the king, but God isn't undone by that kind of evil either. What I love is that we can literally zoom out from the book of Daniel and look at the entire testimony of the scriptures and see that God doesn't edit out all the problems, doesn't edit out all the mm. brokenness, doesn't edit out all the challenges, but God somehow finds a way to intervene into human history and work in spite of the challenges. Even going back to the fall, you see our God is willing to say, okay, Adam and Eve disobeyed. I have a plan for that that plan of redemption that's going to work itself out. So God is always in the midst of working on behalf of the believer and in the midst of believers challenges, even if they're not caused by the believer. And I love the fact that God can work and that doesn't tie up his hands. Exactly. And another thing to note is that our faith is a precious gift of God. Uh, and even though, as we just said a little while ago, those manipulative uh, governors and company, they tried to turn Daniel's faith into his weakness. They tried 
tried to turn Daniel's faith into a liability, but it didn't work. He kept the faith, and God, in turn, kept his faith to him. And we'll just see how this story ends. It's not at all unusual uh, how stories have ended. Uh, Daniel 6.25, Darius uh, wrote a decree. I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom to honor and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end, for he rescues and saves and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And if this were consistent with the other pattern we've seen, if there were another story about Darius, he'd probably forget all about this. But again, this one is so powerful, even Darius issues what looks to me, Daryl, like a doxology. Yes, it looks like one. And this actually will be very important when we get into the final episode of this series, because this is our God. He is our rescuer, and he is the one who deserves the glory, honor, and praise. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we conclude our study of Daniel's prayers and dreams and visions in chapters 7 through 12. Connect with us now at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you. Let us know suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 